Hello, welcome to episode 280 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. To, well, the episode will be released on November 22nd, 2021. I am Rollo McFlugel, and with me is my co-host, Slappy Jones. And uh, show notes page for this episode will be mcflugel.com slash 280. Uh, before I twist myself up even more, because just doing that little bit of a different intro than I'm used to always just makes me stumble on my words. Yeah. Um, Slappy, why don't you introduce yeah. our we, guest? We do have a guest today. First time guest on the show. Real name, no gimmicks. Welcome to the show, Andy Flattery. Rollo, Slappy, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Andy. So we've been talking for a while. We've DM'd. I, uh, I went on your podcast to yep. talk a little bit about Bitcoin. And Andy's a very interesting guy to me. So, um, Andy, can you tell us what you do for a living? Uh, sure. So, I th- th- thanks for welcoming me into the lion's den because, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a financial advisor. I am a certified financial planner. I have been in financial services since 2010, and um, I currently run a solo financial planning practice where I do essentially flat fee financial planning. Um, and I'm also uh, really interested in Bitcoin, which means that, um, you know, there's a chance that we won't exist in a hyper Bitcoinized future. Um, but as it stands today, um, yeah, I've been doing that since 2010. And um, I live here in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. Cool. So how did you first really hear about Bitcoin? Was it one of your CE courses for your CFP? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a far, it's a far cry. Um, okay. So long story short, um, I'm 37. I was a Ron Paul supporter um, back in the day. He won the Iowa caucuses uh, when I was at, at Iowa State University. And so I was all about that. Like that was like a like that was my reaction to um, kind of George W. Bushism back in the day. And so after that, I found the Tom Woods Show and knew about quote unquote crypto for that reason. Like I had like libertarian sympathies, but it was kind of like something on the periphery. And I was just kind of like a casual observer of. Bitcoin. And of course, at that time, like, quote, unquote, crypto. And, you know, like Tom Woods, he he's like a great, he's like my guy, like I have been li- listening to him religiously for a decade. I've read like many of his books. But um, for whatever reason, I just never found the, the case for Bitcoin, um, the hardcore case for Bitcoin until like the last year. And so, Um, I was hearing about it from like my kind of weirdo friends from high school, which because I was like the buttoned up financial guy, like I always thought that if retail was in on a mania, that must mean that it's a bubble, right? Because, you know, we're always taught that like when retail jumps in, that means it's time to to jump off because like they're the last people to get in on it. So that was a little bit, a little bit of my bias. Um, and I was looking at my emails and like in 2014, I had emailed a couple of buddies, hey, we should think about this Bitcoin thing. And to my great shame, I just never did the work. I never looked any further until, um, until last year. And so 
during the the COVID crisis of 2020, I just immediately realized that like it was 2008 all over again. And that was a huge deal for me because um, I was I was taught earlier in my career that like the 2008 financial crisis, you know, that was a one time event. Um, the, the whole George W. Bush thing about like, uh, what was it like saving capitalism by um, restricting capitalism, restricting capitalism yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, got, free market. Yeah, yeah I, I knew that was bullshit. But like in my mind, I thought, well, maybe this is like a one time event. This is like our version of the Great Depression. Um, but here it is in 2020. It was it became very clear that we're just going to have more of these things. We're going to have more of these deflationary spirals and everyone's going to get bailed out. And that is where I realized that like it was time to take a serious look at Bitcoin um, because I had been watching it over the years and um, clearly like it wasn't going to go to zero at that point. And so um, that's kind of the story. I, I, uh, I had expressed some skepticism, believe it or not, in like a financial planning portal about valuation. Because I was like, how do you value? How do you how do you evaluate this thing? And I don't understand. Like, I didn't understand. Like, there there was actually a fundamental case for Bitcoin. And to his great credit, a guy named Jim Kreider, who's another certified financial planner, was like, dude, just read the 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 the, um, the Bitcoin standard. And so I read it last year. I read um, the ethics of money production last year yeah. and uh, a, f- a few of the other Bitcoin books. But really, it was those two books that was kind of my orange pill. And like halfway through the Bitcoin standard, I'm like, this this changes everything. Like I, whatever I thought I knew about finance, whatever I thought the direction of my career was going to be, like something is going to have to change. And so, yeah, I would say that I am like a class. Okay, so I'm a class of tw- of 2021 Bitcoin because uh, Bitcoiner because I did not have um, compliance uh, the compliance go ahead to buy it until uh, early this year, um, which is kind of wild. And so, like my my thing is like I don't want to own an asset if I don't recommend it to my clients. And I wasn't able to do that until early this year. Uh, we were kind of chatting a little bit about that before hitting go, but that's the long and the short of it. Um, I'm a baby in this and um, I'm learning a lot. I'm uh, it's, it's really, it's been like a soul searching moment because I've had to come to terms with the fact that I've, I've been wrong for many, many years. Not that I was like a hater, but I just was kind of like a no corner. I was not really paying attention to it. I wasn't talking about it really in any meaningful way. Um, But here we are. Yeah, that's a pretty neat story, and and don't worry about being a a baby in Bitcoin because it's it's usually the converts that are the most uh, zealous, right? Uh, foreshadow, perhaps. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking about other things, uh, but um, yeah, that's a. Uh, I love hearing those stories like that because a lot of us have the same kind of thing. I. I guess it was around. I mean, Slappy and I talk about it a lot. We bought Bitcoin in 2014 and didn't know what we bought. Right. I had no idea about money. I was a libertarian and thought like, yeah. oh, in case the Fed or the government does something crazy, then I'll have this as a hedge. And uh, just kind of went through a long, dark bear market. And then as things were going up, um, it was like, oh, Bitcoin's fun again. 
and yeah. you know we got into altcoins and did all that nonsense and then and then just took some deep dives into into learning about the economics and the technical side of it and came out the other side being like holy cow and the bitcoin standard um and the ethics of money production were both two books that i read in succession around that time that like had a huge impact in a similar way that they did to you and then did you happen to read uh because it's funny like the reason I, i'm curious to know if this is what happened to you did you read the ethics of money production because Safedine referenced it like every other paragraph um okay so i think i found it through the footnotes in the tom woods book the church and ah, okay. Market. are you guys familiar with that yeah i love that yeah. book so in that book um he relies heavily on guido holzman Okay. And so I just had it on my list. So I was, I think I, I might've even had that book before the Bitcoin standard. Cause I don't even, honestly, I don't even know if Guido Holzman is like a Bitcoiner. Um, he might, he might be coming around to it, but, um, I think I just had it on that list for that reason. I had read that Tom Woods book many years ago. And so the Guido Holzman book was on, was on my radar. And then of course, when I read the Bitcoin standard, I, I was like, oh, well the, the Guido Holzman book is a Bitcoin book too. Right. Uh, yeah, read, reading the Holzman book, because it was, what was it, like 2006 or 2007 he wrote that? Maybe that, 2008. Yeah, that sounds about right, sure. It was right before, like a year or two or three before Bitcoin. And I remember reading that book and, and thinking the same thing, like, this is a book about Bitcoin. Like, he's, it's mm -hmm. obviously before Bitcoin, but like everything about this book just falls into place perfectly for Bitcoin. Yeah. It, it, was, it was incredible. And then... Reading the ethics of money production led me to go read De Moneda by Nicholas Arezme, um, that he referenced a lot in that book. And it's a short little book. It's uh, Arezme was a Catholic bishop, mathematician, scientist, physicist, like one of those, hey, I'm going to just do everything <laughs> under the sun. And uh, I think it was the 13th, 13th or 14th century that he wrote it. It was like the credit is the first treatise on uh, mo monetary economics. And that was another book on Bitcoin. And it's just, it's, it's just mind blowing when, when you can see throughout all of human history and all of monetary history that like all these roads are leading to Bitcoin because it's just, it's, it's, yeah, these books are about Bitcoin, but ultimately the books are about sound money. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's the fulfillment of sound money. I've also heard it pronounced uh, Nicholas Arem, so I have no idea how to pronounce it. But um, okay, well, I've, I've had that's I've had no idea. Then, yeah, I just Arem. read it. <laughs> was it pretty? Was it pretty readable, Rollo? Because I haven't read that yet. Um, but I, yes, I think I have it in a PDF or something. It's short yeah. too. It'll, it's it's very short. It's 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 very dense in the sense mm -hmm. that like he packs a lot of information in a little bit. But it's it's very very readable. Um, the the book I have has the second half of it is the English Mint documents from around that time period, which was just like their kind of their hand, their handbook or ledger, not ledger, but like account of of how the mint worked back then and what was going on. And that that's really dry and that was a slob, but it's also very interesting. And once again, that was kind of a book about Bitcoin because there was there was one point where they talked about where they were keeping the dies for uh, uh, minting the coins and casting these coins. 
and it was a chest with uh, like a bunch of locks on it, and you needed a certain number, uh, you know, three out of bunch, seven. Yeah, something like yeah. that. And I was like, "Holy cow, they've got a multi-sig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I and I really gravitated towards that too because, like, for me, like, I'm you know, I'm kind of like a conservative guy. I'm I'm a little bit of an old soul, and it's like when you can ground Bitcoin in ancient principles in, you know, some foundational things that have been in, you know, in the works for centuries, like the thinking of someone like Nicholas Arraim, like that gets me very fired up Yeah, because you realize this is not just some, some, you know, new technology. It is that, but it's also kind of a culmination of decades and even centuries of, of thinking on what makes, what makes great money. Um, and so I, I love it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great point that doesn't get spoken about enough, or at least doesn't get put framed that way is that yes, Bitcoin, because everyone criticizes Bitcoin or is a reason why they don't want it. It's like, Oh, it's just too new. It's a fad. And it's like, no, it's, it's been talked about for a long time. Right. It's just the culminate. It's just the next step in, in sound money. Like it was, you could almost kind of think of it like it's always been like, just like how before they used gold as money or discovered gold, gold was always in the ground and it was always destined basically to be money Money. for a while because of the technology at the time and the resources that exist in the world and the universe that are available to humans that like eventually we were going to find it and eventually we're going to use it for that purpose because that was the best tool for that job at that point. Uh, I think you can think about Bitcoin in the same way is that it's based in math and math is, you know, as it's, 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 it's like truth. So it's there. It's not like we, you know, it's, you could be technical and be like, well, obviously someone invented it. Yes, I get that. Like someone invented the airplane, even though all of that technology was kind of bound to happen someone's got to put those pieces together in in that arrangement so we'll call that an invention but it was kind of like inevitability the math always existed we as humans just didn't discover it until satoshi put all of the pieces together before him and so yeah it's it's like yes this discover it's a new discovery but it's always existed and always kind of been part of the step that was that was inevitable to happen so andy how do you doing a um financial plan approach bitcoin to your clients or do you because i got to imagine most of your clients haven't taken the orange pill yet right yeah so okay um or do you leave that on the side and just kind of bring it up when it comes up yeah, yeah. The way the way that we're doing it today is every single one of my clients, um, unless unless they have told me explicitly that it's just not for them, owns uh, GBTC today. Um, and so we have the ability to add you know, do discretion over portfolios. And so we're using GBTC today um, for starters. So like, for example, like I have an 
81 year old lady who's got like 5% of her portfolio in GBTC because bonds are like eating her alive right now in an wow. inflationary environment that are negative returning. And so that's kind of like the baseline of, of where I'm starting with this. And what I'm doing in client meetings is I'm basically like showing people like the hierarchy of what you can do. Like, okay, so you own GBTC, it exists. And he, he, you know, here are the reasons why we own it. But this is like, it's kind of like the worst way you could possibly own Bitcoin. Um, it, it's not even owning Bitcoin, but like this is what we have available to us in the <laughs> setup that you, you currently have. And so I guess the way that I'm approaching it, Slappy, is I'm trying to like, um, I'm trying to like push people along step by step that aren't there yet. So like in the case of my 80 year old, um, client, she's not probably ready to hold her private keys yet. Um, like she's the type of person I need to drive over to her house to like help her reset her password when she forgets <laughs> it. Um, but, uh, but that's where we're starting. And so, so the idea is great. You own GBTC and let, let's just work up the ladder. And so the next step is to buy Bitcoin on an exchange. And then after that, we're going to send it to your hardware wallet. And like my goal as the financial advisor is to facilitate all of that because it's not my job to be necessarily like the broker. My job is to help you facilitate your financial life, which ultimately means you want to be self-sovereign and holding your private keys. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of a tough. I guess I, 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 I'm obviously not in your world, but I have uh, people that I'm getting on Bitcoin, and yeah, especially the older they get, <laughs> it's trying to get them to understand, you know, the importance of having private keys and not just leaving it on the exchange. Have, have you? what's that been like with talking to people and getting them to understand that? Is there like a correlation between age and, and like that or. I think it's been, um, it's been uh, kind of interesting in the sense that like, I haven't got a ton of, of pushback just in the idea in general of Bitcoin. Um, I have got quite a bit of pushback in trying to nudge people along towards holding their own private keys. And so I think a lot of people are open to the idea that Bitcoin is real and Bitcoin is not going to zero. Um, in fact, when I started talking about it like a year ago, I had a number of clients who were like, oh, great, like you can finally talk about this. Like I've owned it for years. Um, I'm glad this is something that you can finally do. That was the most of the sentiment that I received, but I think there's a big step to like holding your private keys where most people are wired to think of like, um, you know, financial assets are held in like a, an account and, uh, that's the way it's done. And that's what people, um, that's what people are comfortable with. But, um, and so like, it's on me a little bit to be an educator and to try to teach people like what the reasons are why you might want to hold your private keys. Um, but I think it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when a lot of people, when they are introduced to Bitcoin, they talk about owning shares of Bitcoin. Like I think you're, you nailed it that we're just wired. People are wired to think about assets, if you will, or whatever you want to call it in a certain way that, Oh yeah, this, this institution has it and I can just log into account and they manage it ultimately for me and this idea that like yeah. it, it's just 
saying trying to explain private keys to someone is just they're they're just not going to get it until they kind of understand how Bitcoin works a little bit. So that's kind of the kind of the trouble with trying to get people to like take sovereignty with their with their Bitcoin is that it's it's so different and such a radical way to radically different um, way to do money than we've experienced in most of our lifetimes that you know you got to like totally totally reset people. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is like, maybe this is just where I'm at in the cycle. Like the fact that I'm coming into this space, um, during this part of the cycle is like the other big thing that I'm getting is just great. So what's the next Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, right. right. So like, okay, so you're my financial advisor. You're going, you're, you're going to tell me which altcoin to buy next and when, and like when to buy it and when to sell it and what my port, what my diversified portfolio of cryptocurrency should be since we're supposed to diversify because that's what financial planning tells us we're supposed to do. And so that that's the other thing that I'm struggling with. So I did like I did a, a client event. I don't know if you guys follow Stephen Cole on Twitter. He's kind of like a, a, a personality on Twitter who's a really good advocate for Bitcoin. And the, the biggest the biggest pushback that we got at that event was just that like, great. So like, Bitcoin is fine. We know about Bitcoin, but what else? Like there's other, there's other things too. Um, so I think maybe that's a little bit about where we're at in the cycle. So it's kind of trying to rewire my clients to think about it as like, not like, Hey, here's the next hot stock, but like, no, Bitcoin is actually money. And so like what I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to, to rewire you to think about again is like actually saving money and, and not just try to find like the next, the next hot stock, but like kind of like falling in love with saving again. And that's something that we don't talk about a whole lot. We talk about saving in the sense of like maxing out your 401k, um, but not like in the, in the fundamental sense of like actually saving hard money. That's funny on diversification. Just thinking back to when I was calling on financial advisors, I would always ask what they think about Bitcoin. And I remember one saying to me, I, I would never recommend buying individual stocks if, you know, look at whatever he told me, mutual funds or, you know, if you want to be a little more aggressive, do something else. I can't even remember what he said. I just remember being shocked. And now this is going back probably 2016, 17, where Bitcoin isn't like it quite is today. But just funny to hear that from an advisor. Um, when I ask about Bitcoin, he says, don't buy individual stocks. Now, I think I saw you maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but tweet about buying individual stocks. Did you say something about that recently? Yeah, so that that was the lane that I've been in for a few a few years. Um, so what every what most financial planners today are obsessed with is like quantitative finance. Are you guys familiar with that terminology at all? I am not. Uh, no, neither am I. So what quant finance is like is efficient market hypothesis. And so basically it's like in its in the strictest sense, it's like, well, um, the index has gone up for decades. So you should just buy the index because if you just look, if you just do the back test, that works. Um, but like what the quants have done is they've gone even farther and they're like, well, you should buy cheap stocks because, you know, like this decile of mm. cheap stocks does very very well over time hmm. and so that that's what like most financial planners are obsessed with 
Now, in my in my mind, the, the the problem with that, and by the way, that business really scales because what you can do is you can show Mr. Client your back test, and you could say, "Hey, look how this portfolio is done over the last fifty years. This is fifty years of data to show you like how your portfolio has done." And so, like the hint is like, "Well, this is what the next fifty years is going to look like," yeah. right? You see um, that all the time in life insurance with like index products and they, they look back to like 1950 with this fund. This is what your gains would have been. Right, right. But I've always um, been skeptical of that because as an investor, what you actually want to do is you want to, um, you guys know about this, you want to speculate on future desires, like future needs in the market. And so by looking in the rearview mirror, uh, mirror and trying to find like 50 years worth of data, you will never find the best investments in the future. You might right. do okay. Like if you buy an index fund, like, okay, you might, you might do okay. And so for that reason, like I always gravitated towards like the Austrian stock pickers. Um, there's a guy named Chris Mayer who used to write for Mises.org who, what, what his angle is, he's like, don't, don't worry about the Fed. What you need to do is you just you need to find these operators that are essentially dealing with the macro environment on their own and you just buy and you hold that stock he, he wrote a book called 100 baggers that was like really influential to me and so i always liked that idea of like owning stocks just like it's owning a business um and so you can you can bet on an operator that has skin in the game you can know a little bit about the product that they're selling. Um, and it just kind of made it more real to me than being like, hey, this, uh, this back test has worked, so I'm sure it'll continue to work. But you know, if it doesn't, well then just diversify and hope the Fed bails you out. <laughs> and so anyway, like that, that made me more amenable to, to Bitcoin because I realized that like, this is an opportunity that you know, maybe there's no 50 years of data here, but you can like you can speculate on what future demand for this could look like, and if you have a little bit of imagination, um, an investor can can imagine what the, what the fundamental case for it is. And so, one of the problems with the financial advisors is like there's just there is no imagination. Like you're you're not really allowed to to speculate on. And in fact, speculation is a dirty word. You're not allowed right. to, to to imagine what the fundamental like what this could be. And if you do, like if you get excited about what like a, a, a you know, a hyper Bitcoinized future looks like, you kind of sound like a moron. It's always it's always easier to to be the skeptic. Um, you sound smarter if you just kind of shit on everything. And um, if you're and most of the times you're going to be right, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Um, if, if you're, but if you're optimistic about an opportunity, um, it, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, you don't seem as smart or as credible right. for, you know, I think you guys, it's easy to sound crazy. For right. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. I used to watch, uh, the show Ren and Stimpy as a kid and they had this one character, Wilbur Cobb, who was this old, like kind of crazy, uh, guy. And at one point he was just gone on this like rambling speech and, and in the middle of it, he just goes, you want to be a genius? It's easy. Just say everything stinks. That way you're never wrong. That's yeah. how much of a genius I am. And that's like, it, it's, it was actually, a pr I remember like take, like noticing that even as a kid and be like, that's pretty profound. <laughs> like yeah. in the sense that like it's it, profound in a very kind of cynical way that like you can't, that's what people do. And it makes you seem smart when you just, 
you know, dump on everything. <laughs> it's just, but I, I think it gets disingenuous when, because it's, it's, it's one thing to say, I actually have no idea and I don't try to pick winners. And so just buy the basket or just buy the, the, uh, uh, the hay bale, what's the word? The hay bale, instead of trying to find the needle on the haystack. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Like if that's, the, if that's the lane you're going to go down, but then don't be like a white coast, white coat investor or Peter Malouk and say, <laughs> and say that, you know, Bitcoin is um, AOL. Like that's the lane that they're like, they're actually trying to do analysis on, on Bitcoin and say that's AOL and if you read like this white coat investor article where he's talking about it, he clearly knows nothing. Like he's done no homework whatsoever. He has no clue what Bitcoin is. He, he's starting with his fundamental case that I don't try to pick winners. I just buy the market. And then he's backing into, and Bitcoin sucks because I don't know, it's probably not going to work out. That's not what I, that's right. not what I do, yeah. but it's disingenuous. Like he did not do the homework. Yeah, like, and and we've said this before. Like, sometimes you're faced with the dark abyss of reality, and when like outside of Bitcoin, and you can't hold dollars, especially now, or else you're just going to get your your wealth zapped from you. So you need to go into right. the casino that is the stock market, and like, if you don't know what you're doing, yeah, pick an index fund, or in your 401k, pick the 2055 retirement fund. Like, I, it's it's better than just randomly guessing individual stocks on your own um but yeah it's kind of funny how <laughs> you uh yeah i i think that's like the reasonable thing for most people to do oh yeah and- when, when i say like individual stock picking like i i'm not I, what i'm saying is like there are people that actually um read 10ks every single day and like yeah. do the and like do the work right. and like have like a deep understanding of what they're investing in. They can and pick they, a winner. Right. And, and they, they know something about that business and they have knowledge that the market yes. doesn't quite understand. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm referring to that as opposed to like, um, you know, whatever, like uh, GameStop, I read GameStop seems hot right now. So <laughs> yes. yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah. I, I read Yahoo Finance this morning. So now I have an edge on this yeah. individual stock. Yeah. Molly's oh, no, too. I'm. I'm if, if, you know, I'm a thousand percent into Bitcoin, but if you have an invest, like if you have an edge, a legitimate edge in the market and you're a good speculator, like why wouldn't you go for like, that's, that's how, that's how resources get direct, get moved around. Well, cause we need speculators who understand those markets better than everybody else. So they could direct the resources where they can, can best be. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, with I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. too. I like yeah. that tweet. I like that tweet. And you mentioned something um, while you were talking a little bit ago, where you said there's no creativity with financial advisors, and I totally, thousand percent, agree with that. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's because of the schooling, like the education? Do you think it's because of regulatory environment, like the BDs are buying each other up and we're having fewer and fewer broker dealers every year? I mean, what do you think is happening? Is it all being centralized? Is it? Uh-huh. <laughs> do you have any ideas on why there's just not that much creativity? Is it too scary to be creative when you're in that field? Okay, I got to tell you a quick story about that because I I started my career. I don't know if are you guys familiar with like um, kind of Wall Street culture at all? If you know anyone that's spending spend time in New York, uh, I start yeah. I started my career working for like a literal Wall Street boiler room. Um, that 
had moved um, a couple of a couple of um, stockbrokers really had moved their family out of New York to get to Boulder, Colorado, just to get out of the city. And th- that's where I started my career in 2010, where I was just happy to have a job during the midst of the financial crisis, making $2,000 a month cold calling. And what, like what I experienced was like everything that you see in like the Wolf of Wall Street or uh, you guys remember Boiler Room? Mm-hmm. Except um, no, no like hookers or cocaine parties, like none of that. <laughs> but it was like literally like the stock jockey stuff. So, hey, like we're buying this because we think it's going to spike and you need to get in right now because if you don't, like you're going to miss the move. Logistics for all you Sopranos fans. Yeah, it was literally that kind of stuff. And so um, the reason why I call my podcast the Reformed Financial Advisor is because there's a guy named Josh Brown, the Reformed Broker, who who came from the same world. He he came from that world too. And when he kind of um, wisened up to that, he called himself the Reformed Broker. Um, so I'm the reformed financial advisor because um, my view is like the stockbrokers were wrong, but also like the financial advisors are wrong, but they're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. So like what the brokers were doing is they were just saying like, hey, here's a hot story. Like you should buy this because you got to get in and, and I can make my commission. But then like what I discovered when I tried to move away from that business is that um, it's kind of like the exact opposite in the advisory world where you're getting like a advisory portfolio and you're paying your, your 1% advisory fee for your 60, 40 diversified portfolio of mutual funds. And and what happens there is it's like, um, totally like a, a CYA mentality where Mm -hmm. a lot of these firms have blown up to be massive. And what they're trying to do is just, um, preserve that at all costs. So like, if you can just make the, the client feel good about their 60-40 portfolio, they, they won't sell and you'll continue to collect your 1% fee over the years. And so what that kind of results in is like um, kind of a commodi- commodification of investing. And um, you're basically uh, uh, kind of dumbing everything down to medioc- to be fairly mediocre. Um and so it's yeah. like the opposite of the stockbroker problem. Whereas, whereas, whereas the stockbrokers were trying to like sell you on the hot story, the, um, the, you know, the, the AUM, or what's the word I'm looking for? How do I put this asset in? in yeah. The asset management or the advisory side of the business is more like we can scale our operation to billions of dollars. If we just, um, make grandpa feel really comfortable with his 60, 40 portfolio and we'll continue to get that recurring revenue. Um, and so, so they're kind of both wrong. Like you don't, you don't, I, I think, I think at the end of the day, like ideally, um, there is a conflict there when you're, when you're speaking with a financial planner, that's trying to make money off of you because on the one, like you don't want to really be sold the quick sale on the stock tip, but you also don't want to be like the recurring revenue either. Um, both of those are models that you want to be kind of skeptical of, I think. Yeah, it just seems like it it it's creating just like this whirlpool of dumb money. <laughs> Both that like it's totally. Yeah, you have nowhere uh, else to put it. You have nothing else to right. do with it. So and why not? and it just and and what you're actually trying to accomplish just keeps getting further and further obfus- obfuscated. 
like this idea, like the idea of what investing and speculation and savings and everything, like what, what those actually mean. I mean, you go walk down the street and ask random people, like no one knows what the, what any of those things are. Right. Um, and it's not because they're dumb. It's just because they, the, the world around them and, and, you know, the things they have available to them are just, just gotten everything has just gotten so churned up in 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 the mess that we have and so yeah. nothing nothing makes sense anymore because you can't go and like you well first of all i mean it's illegal half the time for you to like actually do a decent speculation hey my friend owns a uh um i own i'm, I'm a i'm a mechanic and i know the business really well my friend's opening up a shop hey i should you know, let me go invest money with them you're not allowed to do that so right. like, you're forcing people into these other things that they don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, if you, yeah, if you think about it, there is a lot of capital that um, could be in. Like, okay, so I'm from like a small town in Iowa, but you guys are from Pennsylvania. Uh, there could, there's a lot of capital that could stay in these communities if they didn't, if they weren't managed by BlackRock and Vanguard. Right. But sure. but w- what people have been required to do because of fiat inflation is to kind of and they don't want to get gouged in fees is to put all their money with BlackRock and Vanguard, because at least they'll know they know that they'll be able to, to keep up with inflation and, re- and retire. But that's capital that could be staying in some of these failing communities. Um, and so it's not a money problem. Like a lot of times the money is there and it's not like these communities like need more money but it's being allocated towards um, it's being, you know, maybe misallocated towards the biggest companies in the world. In the case of uh, BlackRock and Vanguard, not a bad um, racket. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's uh, I'm, a, I'm being a little skeptical here, but I understand why it exists. And for a lot of people, like maybe that was the best option for them, but that's why we have Bitcoin because Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah, yes. no, it certainly yeah. does. But, like just to, to to go back on that point a little bit about you know money leaving the local communities and it's like well what's the what's the purpose of the local bank today? It really doesn't have one anymore. And then because like you said, people you could try to, to avoid Citibank all you want, but right, people are trying to keep up with inflation, and so they got to use these other instruments, and so they got to get you know an account with Vanguard or, right. or, or anybody else. And then what happens with these local banks is that now with the Fed and and all of the fractional reserving that they're allowing is that not only these local banks aren't serving a purpose for um, like what they traditionally were is where you know the local community put their savings and so they could they could build up wealth that way is that they're making their money by just adding numbers on a on a computer screen. So like they're they're kind of like they become part of the problem too hmm. because it's the way they have to survive and so they're like making because people might go to the bank that local bank to go get a mortgage but all that's doing is just creating more more inflation around them so it's it's just just like a really horrendous like when when you break the fiat system down like this and see every aspect that it just destroys there's nothing in its wake that it doesn't just absolutely turn over on its head and just destroy it's like it's not even like in this case where it's like ah well the local bank isn't used anymore for people's savings and so the local bank just kind of dies no the local bank becomes part of the problem too well so 
Another question for you, Andy. You mentioned that Bitcoin could put you out of business someday in what you're doing. And Rao and I often talk about what we think the world would look like on a Bitcoin standard. What, as short as possible, what do you think the world would look like on a Bitcoin standard? And what about banking and investments, loans? Is there a need for a financial advisor there, someone to kind of guide you with your Bitcoin savings? Because um, obviously you've thought about it. So curious to, to know what you think. Yeah, that's something I think about a lot. Um, and I... I have to think like the example would be, okay, so like Vanguard disintermediated um, individuals from their mutual fund salesmen. You know, that happened in the the 80s and the 90s. And even today, like, you know, Vanguard basically made it possible that you didn't have to like buy a portfolio from like the local mutual fund salesman at the Knights of Columbus or something like that. And um, in the next iteration, I suppose it would be like Bitcoin, which is a better, of course, a better version of Vanguard in, in every way, um, will disintermediate um, from the banking and financial system altogether. And so like now in the case of Vanguard and BlackRock, like they are actually the establishment. So like they're, they're no mm-hmm. longer like the underdogs, like they now actually run the world um, in right. a lot of ways. Right. <laughs> And so um, where, where does that leave everything else? I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, like banking and investing are still kind of important things that will have to exist. Um, investing will probably, hopefully, be like in, in my dream world, like will become more specialized and more personalized. So like, Rollo, to your point, if you want to invest in your buddy's business, in town, like maybe there will be ways to do that. And, uh, that's kind of what investing should be. Like you invest in things, you know, something about, um, in, in, in the world that I live in. So like as a certified financial planner, um, I've been thinking a lot about like, what, what are the, what are the financial planning opportunities around Bitcoin? Um, and so what's really cool to me as a financial planner and like a father is like something like, um, estate planning so like uh-huh. do you like have you guys seen um yellowstone yet the the peacock show okay no. it's uh it's kevin cosner and um he's got a huge ranch in montana and it's been in his family for like 150 years and so the the drama of the show is like how to keep the ranch mm-hmm. because there's um long story short it's a pretty good like libertarian um myth because it's like uh he's got taxes eating away at his property and he's got um um a government trying to steal it from him mm-hmm. to build an airport and so what's cool about bitcoin is like this could be um multi-generational wealth planning for plebs like for nor- for normal people that that don't have fifty thousand acres of land and and realize that land is like um kind of an imperfect store of value and so like I'm a father, like I want, I want to raise my children, um, to grow up, to be good men. Like I want to leave them a legacy. Um, I want them to do the same for their children. And that's pretty cool that like Bitcoin makes that like a lot easier than, than trying to hire a team of lawyers to like make me 
make it easy for me to pass my ranch on. Sure. So um, that's something I'm thinking a lot about in, in the near term. I also think like, uh, you know, just tax planning. So Rallo, you've been talking about this, like how, how do you handle the taxes? Um, you've got right. a pretty cool, cool spreadsheet spun up, but um, you know, just handling the tax burden of like dealing with transactions in Bitcoin um, or like in my case, I'm trying to figure out how to how to donate my Bitcoin to my 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 parish right now because they're building a new church. <laughs> Very um, cool. But I think yeah, I think those are two of the things that you know in, in the current legal system that still exists are probably the big ones. Um, outside of that, I guess retirement. So a lot of us that have been not privy to Bitcoin until recently have a ton of money in retirement accounts. So like what do you do with that? Like, how do you handle, um, you know, billions of dollars that are in qualified assets? Um, I think that's a pretty big issue that we need to, that we need to come to a solution for. There are solutions out there, but I think that's kind of in a, you know, a revolving door in a sense. Um, so they, those are the big, those are the big ones slappy. What do you think? I think that's a great answer. Um, <laughs> one thing that came to mind as we were sitting here talking, um, is you, you talked about capital leaving the local communities. And I sold my house within the past year and I sold it to some Russian immigrants and everyone we dealt with was Russian. Hmm. And so I was talking to just my father-in-law about it. Like, nice people, they're great. But he was saying years ago, I mean, I don't know how long ago, especially in the Philadelphia area, but I'm sure it was everywhere. All these immigrant groups would have their own banks, essentially their own, I don't know if they hmm. were credit unions or, or what they were called. And so these immigrants would come over and they'd put their money away and then they, they would have that money to loan out to their family when they come over. And yeah. it, it just kind of built this community and which you see this in a lot of town. I mean, we have a Germantown section, um, now Chinatown section, uh, South Philly's the Italians, Italian market. All these immigrant groups came and built their own communities up and had a real culture around it. And, um, it's really fascinating. They all took care of each other. And I hope that we get a return to that, that lowering that time preference, thinking of the long term and building in your own community. And I think that's really possible. In terms of what a financial advisor is going to do, I, I think I think the estate planning is, is dead on. I mean, I, I haven't really thought hard about what the role of the financial advisor would be, but I imagine it would be similar to what they were doing in the early 1900s under a gold standard. I mean, I think, I think it will shrink, you know, like for sure. Like, like, for like, sure. Right. Like my backup plan is like, okay. Cause obviously like what that is, is that's kind of like a higher touch. Like what, what you're talking about there is like, more than like, hey, I need to hire Edward Jones because obviously I need a retirement account so I can retire. Yes. Like You'll be talking, talking about wealthy people who we're need talk, to find something. Right? We're talking about a higher touch service that used to be for like, you know, like family offices and like, you know, the, the ultra mm -hmm. wealthy. Maybe that's going to be the sort of thing that's more available to every to everyone in the future. Um, but like I heard, I heard one time Michael Saylor make the comment that maybe you could program for the next 1000 years, um, every woman in your family to get flowers on her birthday or something like that, <laughs> you know, where, where there's like, there's like estate planning opportunities that we had have never imagined yet that could right. be pro programmable into Bitcoin using time locks and things like that. 
Um, and so I think there's a lot of work to be done on that, but, um, but that's what like, it's like to me as like a father and a husband, like I get excited about that. Cause like my, you know, my wife, she doesn't know how to use her private, key, the private keys that we have. Um, right. and, uh, uh, but I, I damn sure want to make sure that she's set up. And so, um, absolutely. And, and our children too. So, um, that's the biggest thing that's on my mind. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, I think people might um, don't want to lead them on a path thinking that when we say like, oh, yeah, financial planners or advisors, like that's going to shrink that industry. And we're not we're not being like Luddites about it. Um, That's like a good thing because it frees up people like all the money that was spent on that will be freed up to do other things. And under a Bitcoin standard, I think you're going to have a lot more entrepreneurship. Um, And so people are going to need help with that. Like, so, yeah. so the people that are interested in finance and, and, and managing money, it's maybe you're not helping people manage their individual, like their wealth as an individual, but you, you're helping them manage their, the wealth of their business and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it, when, when, you know, you close one of those doors, you're opening a window somewhere else and, and, you know, you're just going to have so much more wealth around that, um, there's going to be way more opportunities for so many things. So it's like, it's a, it's a very good thing. Like this, this it's create, it's the creative destruction. Just another example of it. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with, um, there's like a bot in telegram where you can, um, where you can tip using the light lightning network inside of telegram. I have, have you not, seen this? Yes, I've, I haven't used it, but I've seen it. Okay, so this is integrated into our our Kansas City Bitcoiners group, and mm-hmm. it's super cool because you can say like, okay, um, we're raising a million sats for for Jenny, who's um, I don't know, it's her birthday tomorrow, and so we're gonna buy her uh, lunch or something like that. And so you do this inside the group, and then just everyone pitches in by sending um, a portion of that. So like essentially like you're crowdsourcing philanthropy inside your community. Mm. Um, nice. As, uh, as Slappy was, was, was talking about that, it, it reminded me of um, just the ability inside of Lightning to like um, do like peer-to-peer crowdsourcing. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be oh, a lot yeah. of opportunity for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's just – it's programmable money. You could do whatever you want with it. So it's just – as as more more and more good minds come into Bitcoin and start playing around with stuff, it's we're going to see an explosion of of really interesting things. It's man, I've Slappy and I talk about this all the time when we were just libertarians and trying to spread the libertarian message, like we were doing it, and it, but it was kind of like depressing because it's like, man, we got to like convince everybody about like just read Rothbard. Yeah, like, man, this is like, no one's listening to us. No one cares. They have no incentive to care. And they think we're just crazy lunatics. But with Bitcoin, like, I've never, especially with all the craziness that's going around in the world and how awful things have been, like, I've never been more bullish about the future because of Bitcoin. Number go up, technology helps. Yes. And we're going to see a world where there is a half a head of, cattle in every chest freezer and a tractor in every barn which 
that's obviously, you know, me put, throwing my joke, but like, I also mean that seriously because I, I like, um, I think it's going to bring on a return, like the, the lowering of time preference for people. Uh, like, I think food is a big issue. Get um, off the fiat diet. Yeah. Like we eat, a lot of us, a lot of people eat garbage uh, because of, you know, the fiat system and it makes everything more expensive. And so they put in the ersatz into your food, second rate, third rate, fourth rate stuff so that you're not getting shocked by inflation. But, you know, if we're saving money and we become wealthier, then it gives us the opportunity to buy better food. So you can like go out and go get a part of a cow split a cow with someone or buy a whole cow for yourself and, and get it butchered for you and, and hold it. And, um, also like, you know, I've criticized people so many times in the libertarian world about saying like, you could, you should just grow your own food as a way to fight the state. And like, that's better for you. It's like, yeah, I, I, I have a big garden. I love gardening. I love growing food and everything, but like if you're, that's not a way to get yourself out of poverty or like <laughs> fight the state. But I think as, you know, it's kind of that return to tradition where people used to have a lot, do a lot more gardening. And when you, when you're wealthier and you can produce more for, and with less inputs, that means you're going to have more free time that gives you more time to do things like have a garden. And when you are growing food and, and storing your own food and preserving your own food, like it's, it's better for you than whatever crud you might be getting at the store. And so, you know, you might, like need a tractor <laughs> to, to, to manage that if you've got the, that big of a property, but it's all, you know, I think we are going to kind of not be subsistence farmers, but we're going to be able to be wealthy enough that we choose that kind of lifestyle. That's the way. Yeah. I mean, just being wealthy or in a, um, more humble sense, like having savings to so, solves a lot of sins in financial planning. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want to turn everything into a payment and, you know, afford a car with a car payment or have like, um, every insurance under the sun, like, um, eye insurance to be able to afford your trips to the eye doctor, you can do that and you can meet with a financial planner and that will help you figure out how to, you know, check every box in the fiat system to do that. Or if you just have savings, you, you don't need to, you know, it solves a lot of those problems. If, if you have an issue with your eyes, you just pay for it, right? And you don't, you don't need to necessarily have eye insurance. Um, and so that's a big deal. I think that's the way. I think there was a time in my life where I thought that the answer was like, you know, run for your, lo run as, as a local congressman or something at, at the state level. But um, Bitcoin is a much more powerful solution because it's individuals like empowering themselves where they don't they no longer need the state. So like, you know, here in Kansas City, 100 years ago, there were like entrepreneurs. Um, oh, like Hallmark cards started here or mm. like Rus Russell Stover's chocolates started here. <laughs> and nice. these, yeah, these were individuals that like were essentially um philanthropists in their community before the, the, the nanny state was, it was necessary, right? Like, well, so, if, so if anyone needed anything, if there was a widow that needed to be supported, uh, these, these types of guys would just, you know, write checks to these, yeah. uh, 
to these women and support them um, without social security. And that's what savings can do. Like you can, you can support your community. You can, um, you can be the, uh, the, the, the backdrop in case of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, financial distress. We, we, and we no longer need like this, uh, this big nation state to, to, to make sure those things happen. Yeah. You had a really good podcast episode and this is going back. So I don't want to put you on the spot. But it was on a guy from Kansas City and maybe Voller or Volker or oh, yeah, something. Volker, right. That was incredible. That was a really cool story. If you could, just in two seconds, just talk about him because I, okay. I think this guy is impressive. So I just I just DM'd Jeff Deist about this because I was like, am I crazy about this or is this like a big deal? And <laughs> and, and Deist, um, who is the, the president of the Mises Institute, he's like, yeah, this is that's basically right. And so there's a guy named William Volker. He was um, – uh, in his time in Kansas City, would have been a billionaire in today's dollars. He, uh, during like the uh, the expansion of the West, he basically had like a home furnishings business um, in, at the turn of the of the twentieth century, and he became very very wealthy. And him and his nephew were basically um, former twentieth century progressives that basically saw that machine politics of like the early 20th century were like corrupting all of their philanthropic works. And they basically decided that like privately funding individuals was better than like public philanthropy. And so anyway, Volcker um, was kind of red pilled in his time by Hayek. So he read the road to serfdom and then his nephew after Volcker's death um, started what was called the Volcker Fund, which is essentially it was like the first think tank. And if you guys are familiar with this, um, Mises talks about the Volcker Fund as basically being like the the money that made uh, that made like Mises's career possible in the U.S. And then later Rothbard worked for the Volcker Fund, and um, actually Milton Friedman. So it wasn't explicitly Austrians, but like kind of a lot of free market enthusiasts worked for the Volcker Fund. What they did is like Mises could not find a job in the United States. So the Volcker Fund would go to NYU and they'd say, hey, just hire this guy and we'll pay his salary. And so hmm. Mises actually worked for um, NYU for free, uh, but, but he was paid a salary by the Volcker Fund, essentially this Kansas City money. And so anyway, long, I, my podcast is basically the, the thesis is like uh, Bitcoin wouldn't exist without without Kansas city philanthropist, right? right. Because uh, essentially what they did is they bankrolled the career of Mises in the United States. Um, Rothbard worked for them and uh, Hayek as well was another one of these guys that was supported by the Volcker fund. And so if you look at like the, uh, the Nakamoto Institute, of course, there's a bunch of cypherpunks on that website, but um, a bunch of it too is those three guys. So Rothbard, Hayek and, and Mises. Um, and so, yeah, he, he's one of these like early, 20th century philanthropists that what would happen is like people would just show up at his office and they'd say, Hey, my bike was stolen or, um, I'm, I'm down on my luck. And, and, and Volker would just like support these people individually. But then later in his life, he, he did a lot more in, in the case of, uh, of this, uh, think tank. Yeah. I thought that was an awesome story. Thanks man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I never heard that name before. So that was, that was really cool. And then uh, I guess if I could, one more question. We are right up on an hour, so I want to be 
respectful of your time. But you mentioned that you were looking into donating some Bitcoin to your parish. So I imagine you've talked to them about Bitcoin. How has that reception been? Because Rollo and I are both Catholics. We've made that known on our podcast. And I have had a lot of mixed reception, but a lot of positive uh, experiences too. Um, do you get the same from the church? Um, yeah, I think it's all, all over the board. Um, so we have got a beautiful new church being built here in Kansas City um, that I, I want to be supportive of. And like, uh, basically, like they're all on board like basically it's like yeah we'll, we'll take your money sort of thing <laughs> yeah if but, you have but, money we'll take it right yeah but i think others uh, others that i've talked to about like I, I sit on a board of a nonprofit here in kansas city that's kind of involved with the church and like i think a lot of people just don't know about it and so it's not mm -hmm. even that they're like they're not anti uh, anti-bitcoin it's yeah. just like they're they're just unclear about what it is and like how it could potentially help them and so yeah that's a whole that's a whole different avenue um, of like how to how to help these churches benefit from Bitcoin. Um, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? Should should churches come out as Bitcoin churches just for the pure publicity of it, just because it's, it's cool and like they'd get some support from guys like us? Um, I mean, I, yes and no. No, in the sense that I think there's they should come out and support for better reasons, right. but. Yes, in the sense that that's positive for that. It's like it's good for Bitcoin. Right. So, um, like I was, I was tossing around the idea in my head today. Like, should I go around to non-Catholic churches and religions and promote like Ethereum there, and then go promote <laughs> Bitcoin <laughs> and Catholic churches? Because yeah. that'll, you know. <laughs> yes, that's that's a good thing to do. I rejected it because. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, ultimately I rejected it because it was utilitarian and um, <laughs> not based on not very well based on natural law or uh, you know, <laughs> and yeah, any any of the tenets of the Catholic faith. <laughs> Slappy, I think one of the things I need to start talking more about when I'm having these conversations is like you guys need to realize that like one of the memes in the Bitcoin community right now is that Bitcoin is the immaculate conception. So yeah. like this, this is, this is an evangelization opportunity. Like, like this is like a Bishop Barron opportunity for us where we can, we need to tell the Bitcoin community, like what the immaculate conception actually is, because my guess right. is 95% of them don't realize that the immaculate conception is, uh, is not Jesus. Yeah. No, you're probably, <laughs> a lot of them probably think it was a catch from, uh, in the right. Super that's, Bowl. that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. The immaculate perception. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, well, it's funny too because like th there's angles, there's very good, like, just like anything else. You, you need to know your audience when you're trying to uh, convince them of something or sell them an idea or something. And um, it was actually more of the um, kind of this this culture among Bitcoiners of getting married when they're young and having lots of kids. Yeah. And this kind of lower time preference thing that like got my mom to care about it a little hmm. bit more. So it's like, oh, all these Bitcoiners around here, they they're out and talking about having like eight billion kids and everything, and and you know doing away with vi you know, putting vice aside and and caring more about the future and long term. And she goes, oh, really? And suddenly that was the thing, and and you can tie it. I think, I mean, I think Bitcoin is um, 
it's it's the not only is it you know the economically correct thing to do but it's also just like the moral thing to do i mean this the fiat money system we have is yeah. evil and bitcoin fixes that so i think it's important i think it's important to be a catholic and a bitcoiner and and try to convince other catholics mm-hmm. um, to start adopting bitcoin yeah, I, I kind of mentioned that similar thing to a priest friend of mine, and that really grabbed his attention because it's like, you know, he's dedicating his life to try basically to lower people's time preference. Um, and when I when I put it that way and talked about the Bitcoin community and how people stop using drugs, people stop paying for well, looking at porn or whatever um, because they think about the future. Uh, that's really powerful for Catholics, I think. And I, I think that Catholics should be buying and holding their Bitcoin because I think they will have a much, um, w- what's the word, Rob? What am I trying to say? Uh, the, the future would be much brighter for Catholicism on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah. I mean, how often do you see like, uh, I, I, I don't even think these are Catholics, but like Bitcoin people will like praise the idea of um, St. Peter's Basilica or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the beauty of and, the And like the height, the height of Western civilization coming from an era of um, a sound money. Right. Uh, on a sound money standard. This is like our opportunity. Like this is. You know, as we Catholics, we think fondly of, you know, a lot of, t- a lot of times the, the Middle Ages. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's important that we, we point that out. Like there's, um, there's a reason why that wasn't, um, th- there, there was a reason why those were Catholic churches in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that's, it's, so let me just understand like the lineage of this is like, does that come from Hoppe? Like, is this where all this stuff comes from? Is it like. You know, Seyfedean was very much influenced by Hans Hoppe, and is that kind of like are, are we essentially the uh, the cousins of of uh, Hoppe in that sense? Um, I think so. Um, have you read the book "Democracy: The God That Failed"? I have read. Hoppe? Yeah, I have read parts of it, but I've never read the whole okay. thing. Um, I'm, I'm I haven't read like I know there's a couple others on my on it on my reading list from him too. Um, so I kind of know what he's about, but I've never read, like, I've never finished the book. Now, okay. Rallo, that's, that's mostly about throwing people out of helicopters, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no, I, I think, I think it is. I think Hoppe, if, if Hoppe had Bitcoin, he would have been just, you know, the Mecca warrior of, <laughs> fighting the state. Um, he had like, he had all the right ideas. Um, he just never really had the right tool he could speak to, to actually have the good mechanism to actually see that come, his ideas come to fruition. Um, so yeah, I think it's, and, and top is just built on top of Roth, you know, Rothbard right. stuff. It's, which is built on top. So yeah, I think it's, I think that's kind of the, the, the right lineage. And and it makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, Hoppe makes the point of like you need to build strong communities and you need to build some wealth. And the wealthy people, like the reason why you don't necessarily need a government to like manage morality, 
in your community is because the man, when you have a healthy economy that's moral and operates under natural law principles, then the people that are the most productive, the most honest people that produce the most value become the most, the wealthiest. Yeah. And so people are going to look to them, the wealthy people that have the most pull in the community and say like, well, what is he doing that got him there? And it's not currying political favor. It's not just, you know, being the relative of, you know, the county commissioner or something or, or however these people get in, get political power now. It's no, it's by being productive. It's by being a, a good, honest, upstanding citizen in your community. And so when you see that, it, it like that's going to encourage people to try to do the same thing. And once you get that ball rolling, then, you know, this, you know, you have this competition for being the best citizen in your town. And that just makes everyone and everything so much better. Uh, but there was never really a good mechanism to be able to do that because the state ultimately was had the source of power and control. But with Bitcoin, we can erode away at that and just basically obsolete the way they get power. And so when that happens and we are left without that state state apparatus to determine who the winners and the losers are, and it's going to be left up to the to the market and whoever is the most productive and and the best members of society to be the leaders of society. And so you actually will have a strong foundation for your communities and it will actually like you will have healthy societies. Yeah. And I think too, it's like one, one of the things that Bitcoin has taught me is like just having conviction. Like I feel like, um, uh, you know, Bitcoin is truth. It's, it's baked into the cake of what, of what the protocol is. And like, that's kind of the ethos of Catholicism as well. Like we are bold enough to say that we have the truth and so, you know, uh, you know, like a, a Catholic like myself might say something like, well, um, you know, something like artificial birth control that, you know, it's going to screw up a woman's body. It's just not good for a woman. It's not good for a marriage to have like this um, unnatural barrier between them. It's a very kind of high time preference solution. Like we've been saying these sorts of things as Catholics, and that's kind of an unpopular thing to say. Um, right. And and so I, but I think like, I think almost the Bitcoiners are doing a better job of having conviction. Like we could actually learn something from that um, because, you know, like the Catholics have the truth, have the truth. Bitcoin is truth. Um, so I think there's a lot we can learn from them. Yeah. I think it's that kind of, I mentioned it earlier that, that new convert uh, zeal yeah, that people right. have. That's why you see a lot of times converts to Catholicism are like the, the strongest ones. Totally. And, uh, I think it's the same thing with Bitcoin because it's, it's like when you're not just like born into something and it's just always kind of been there your whole life, it's, it's kind of easy to lose the forest for the trees or, or what have you, or just not to appreciate what's going on. But when you really have that discovery, that can, that, that moment of like the, uh, the veil getting pulled away from your eyes and, and seeing, seeing these things, it, it's, it's really, truly amazing. And that's what helps with it's Cause it's not just a one-time event. You don't just like 
discover Bitcoin and like, wow, that was that was the the that was the moment, and now I understand everything. It's like you have these moments, but the more you go down the rabbit hole, yeah. the more you, you start to understand it. The more that you have these epiphanies and these eye opening experiences, and the same thing with religion, like. I, you know, once you start going down the the rabbit hole of Catholicism and start understanding it more, and that exposes you to other ideas and other things, and you, like it, it blows your mind how well these principles and ideas actually work together, as a, as a, instead of just like seeing it on the surface or just like taking it totally for granted. Right. So like I could, I could be open-minded and I could be an ecumenist and be like, you know what, I'm going to learn a little bit about Buddhism because it's been around for a while. It's important for me to know about Buddhism, but, but you know what, like the, uh, like God blows my mind so much that I just don't really care to, to learn more about Buddhism in the, in the same sense that like, I don't really care about Cardano. Like right. I know there might, maybe, maybe there's something to it, but like, there's so much to Bitcoin that I just don't have time for, for anything else. Like, like I, I've got a lot of work to do on this yet um, to, to start worrying about something like, you know, Cardano or something like that. Well, the other thing is you can find you find truth in Bitcoin. And so if truth is there, you seek truth. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point of looking at something that is not truth? Yes. Like, I don't need to go study altcoin number 8,462. I already know it's it's not going to work because it violates the truth that Bitcoin has. And it's and it's the same thing with religion. It's like, oh, are you so confident as a Catholic? And it's like, well, I, I discovered truth there. And if there's a contradiction from something else that's out there, then I don't really need to look at it because it's it violates violates this truth that that are that I I, I have here. Nice. And I know that like pe- for for people that are uh, you know maybe not it, it it's it's that sounds off putting in the sense like wow you're really arrogant mm-hmm. that you think you know what truth is but like. If, if you believe that we're made in the image and likeness of God and that we're like truth exists and I think God wants us to discover truth, not that we're going to have all of the answers to everything. Like I said, we're, we're constantly in this like discovery process. We can't know everything, but we can kind of muddle our way in the right direction. And when you start to find pull on that right thread and find truth, keep going in that direction like, don't just like, and, and it's, it's amazing that all these things like tie into each other. You could talk about Bitcoin in the same logic and ideas as you could talk about religion, because it's like, if you have Bitcoin and that's money and that's hard sound money and people say like, well, you should diversify. It's like, why, why would mm-hmm. I diversify into something worse? And it's like, if you're finding truth in Catholicism, like why in the world would I diversify into Buddhism or something else that's just not in that path towards truth? Yes. I think we just got an indulgence for that, Rollo. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, because I need every indulgence that uh, God would bless me with, as we all cool. do. Well, that puts us at about an hour and 15 minutes. You want to wrap it up. Andy, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you if you want to be found? 
Um, yeah, sure. So my podcast, it's the Reformed Financial Advisor, um, reformedfinancialadvisor.com if you want to get on my email list. And then I am on Twitter now too. So um, just the name is Andy Flattery on Twitter. Cool. And thanks, guys. This is fun. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. This was a great conversation. Yeah, that'll be uh, in the show notes page, mcflugel.com slash... Two eight zero. Hey, Sorry, I wasn't looking at the. Ronald, I got to give you credit. You had your homework assignment and you got it done in two days. You found a Catholic financial advisor who likes Bitcoin. So, oh thank yeah, you. Thank yes. you. oh yeah. I saw you guys teed that up in your last episode. So <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope I delivered on checking yes, those boxes. No. Yeah, this 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 was uh this was really great. Um, it's really nice. It's really great to see. Well, people like my. It's nice to see other Catholics. <laughs> yeah jump into bitcoin and and like having the same thoughts and ideas as i like slappy and i have and and i'm very blessed to have slappy because we like are like doing this journey together oh slappy's blessed to have slappy yes i am very blessed to have myself <laughs> and to have a and no but not to cut you off but rallo and i have been talking since before i knew what a podcast was about this stuff and so coming down this journey would not have been possible without rallo so i'm very blessed to have him and our other friends our other close friends yeah. that we have around here but it's it's really important to be able to like discuss these ideas with other people because it's like it can be very lonely or like not lonely but you have these ideas and you're like am i crazy but when you can talk talk to someone for the first time and be on the same page because you have the same foundation. Like it's, it's very reinforcing and like it, it gives you confidence that you're moving in the right direction. So um, I'm glad that we, uh, we connected and I, and I'm really happy to come on the show, Andy. And, uh, and I'm really happy that like, you're one of the people that's out there like doing something. Yes. Yes. Like, really bringing Bitcoin out there to people in a way that a lot of us just simply don't have the ability to do. Um, so I, I applaud you for that. You know, it is a risk that you're taking. Um, I think it's going to, I think the reward is, is very great. And I think you'll be, you'll be, uh, you'll be very, very well rewarded for it in a lot of ways. Um, but, it, but it still takes guts to do that, especially when the rest of the world and probably a lot of your industry around you is thinking that you're, crazy yeah no thanks man and um yeah i hope i hope you're right about that and uh i i should mention this too because i think i told this to slappy the, the the way that i became familiar with the rollo and slappy and show was that episode that you guys well i think i've known about you for years just through like libertarian twitter yeah. but i had uh, this i don't know if you know this guy cooper adamo who uh he's a young guy who's has studied um Oh, uh, who's the name escapes me at the moment. Um, uh, a young guy who studied like a lot of the anarchist um, literature told me about mm -hmm. your guys' episode on the Catholic case for Bitcoin. And that's how I oh, found yeah. your, your podcast. And so anyway, nice. you guys were one of the first people to do that. And so um, I listened to that and uh, that's how I found your show. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That was, that was a really fun episode with a uh, zero knowledge actor. He's a, uh... It's just it always blows my mind when you can take different ideas and kind of or two different things and and 
put them on the same logical path or or on the same skeleton, if you will, and they fit so very well. And that's like, you know, a tax on Bitcoin is is basically a parallel to how you would attack the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. So that that was really I, I that episode was really fascinating for me too. I I love I love being a part of that. So. That's awesome. Uh, we got to get we got to get more Catholics onto Bitcoin. We got a Catholic Bitcoiners yep. got to rally around together, get get Catholics into Bitcoin and get Bitcoiners into Catholicism, <laughs> which I think is happening. Um, I've seen a lot of Bitcoiners have started turning more towards religion. We have someone yeah. in our uh, in our Telegram group that mm-hmm. that uh, that said, "Hey, started started going back to church." Yeah. Wow. That's and that's awesome. like. As rewarding as it is to orange pill people to bring them into Bitcoin, it is about a gajillion times more rewarding to see someone uh, get their uh, their faith. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. I hope we can do it again sometime. And uh, you want to wrap it up, Rallo? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Once once again, uh, show notes page. Check out Andy's stuff at mcflugel.com slash 280. Also... Uh, we got libertymugs.com there, 10 hours of Bitcoin and Bitcoin trickle, like we mentioned in the episodes. So if you want to learn about Bitcoin, uh, those are two great places to do it. So, all righty. Thanks for listening and we will catch you next week. Peace. Thanks guys.